This morning, uh, we continue our series in a church, in our, as our church, in the Ten Commandments, which we've been looking at. And believe it or not, we've come to commandment number nine, which reads, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You're welcome to turn to that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. More simply said, though, the ninth commandment could be read as, don't lie. Don't lie. Now, we learned uh, several weeks ago when the children came in here, perhaps you were here, and they taught us hand motions to all the different Ten Commandments, and we've been going through those every week. They're a great way for us to remember uh, what they are. So put up your nine fingers here on the Ninth Commandment, and how many of you remember this? You go like this. Speak truth. Right? Speak well of others. I call this the fawns. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's just because I'm old. Now listen, since we're talking about speaking truth this morning, I have a confession to make to you. I was relieved that I got to spoke on this message a couple of weeks ago. You know, in my mind, this wasn't as big of a deal as some of the messages we've gone through, right? I mean, how can you even compare lying to something like murder or adultery? And so I had this sense of relief. All right, we're coming to some of the easier ones. Of course, you know what I'm about to say right now, right? My view on this is certainly not God's view on this. In fact, I don't know if you've kind of noticed this, but we've come to the ninth commandment, and out of the ten commandments, three of them have to do with the way we speak. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. We discovered that Jesus talked about how we can murder others with the way, you know, that we speak to them, and now we get to the ninth commandment. Don't lie. So apparently, if you're following on your notes there, the way we speak is a very serious thing to God. It's a very serious thing to God, and... And, and really, the reason for that can be summed up from these words I printed on your notes there in Proverbs 18.21. Could you read this out loud with me there? It says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's how serious it is to God. It's a life and death thing. Now, you might be thinking right now, that's pretty dramatic. I mean, that's a little overdoing it. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, but really? I mean, let me ask you a question. Are there power in the way that we speak? Is there power in the way we speak to others, to another human being? Uh, can a husband have power in the way he speaks to his wife? Does that influence his wife? Can a wife, vice versa, have power in the way they speak to their husband? Yeah, of course. Parents, if you're a parent in this room, you know this, right? You can breathe life into your children through the words you speak. You can also tear them down with the words you speak. Teachers, I know we have lots of teachers in our midst. You can use your words in a powerful way, I experienced that firsthand, both positively and negatively, right? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. I think we would all agree with this. Yet, our culture, the old saying goes, I think you can all join me on this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a total lie. I mean, sometimes, I, quite honestly, I'd rather get physically injured than receive some of the hurt and pain I've received in my life through hurtful words. Indeed, I think life and death truly are in the power of the tongue. If you're following on your notes, our words can build others up or tear them down. Our words can build others up or tear them down. If you were here when we were in our series in the book of James, James talks about this very thing quite often uh, in his book, by the way, the power of the tongue, right? And he compared the tongue to a small spark it's a small thing in our body, but it can cause wildfires around us. Now, you might think, what can one spark do? What can mat one match really do? Let me tell you, growing up in California, what it can do. It can, grow it can destroy an entire city. It can ruin generations of work. No wonder God takes the way we use our tongue so seriously. And yet, as my response to preaching this message reveals, I don't think we take this as seriously as God does. 
And I'm just going to go ahead and assume I wasn't the only one who was a little bit relieved about this. We got past some of the, quote, biggies. But this is a biggie to him, too. Now, the reason I don't think we view it as such a biggie anymore is simply because I think it, once you scratch below the surface, we live in a country right now where lying is just commonplace. I mean, it's just a part of our national fabric. In fact, you don't believe me, a poll was recently done on Americans a few years ago discovered that 91% of Americans admit to lying regularly. One in five admit they can't make it through a single day without telling a lie. And I'm not just talking about little white lies. We're talking about, you know, preconceived, uh, premeditated lies. They can't make it through a day. And the uh, conductors of this survey came to two conclusions. You may disagree with this, but this is what they came to the conclusion of. First of all, lying has become a cultural trait in America. It is embedded in our very national character. Second, the majority of Americans today, two out of every three, a little bit more than that, believe there is nothing wrong with telling a lie. Only 31% believe that honesty really is the best policy. Now, that might be true for our country right now, but that is not to be true in God's kingdom. It is not to be true of God's people. You see, not only is honesty the best policy for God's children, but it is to be a defining characteristic of who we are. We are to be people who honor telling the truth, who speak the truth. You know, the reason for this is we've been saying every week in this series, if you look on the back of your notes, that sentence is there again. I hope you've burned it in your memory. The reason God has set this boundary about lying over us, why? Because he wants us to experience freedom. And he knows lying is one of the quickest way to not experience that. It's a way to experience bondage. And we're going to talk about why uh, that is, I think, in a few minutes here. But let's start by reading the commandment out loud there uh, on our notes. Or if you have your, your Bible open there to Exodus 20, verse 16, it says this. Let's read it. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, for any of you, uh, you know, lawyers or attorneys in the house, you probably notice right away that the context immediately of this, this is specifically talking about a court of law, a situation in the court of law where there might be a witness who is testifying falsely against someone else. That's what's forbidden in the ninth commandment. Now, why would this be such a big deal for the people of Israel? Well, they lived well before the day of forensic evidence, right? There is no such thing as CSI Jerusalem. When person was accused of a crime, they were brought before the elders, and oftentimes it became one person's word, a witness, against their word. But here's a little provision God made, because so many of the crimes had huge stakes, God made a provision that it had to be two witnesses. Two witnesses had to come alongside, and in order for someone to be convicted of a capital offense, they had to agree in their witness. Now, of course, if we've been in this series, we know this isn't meant to just be limited to the courtroom, Right? This has so much of a broader understanding. In fact, in Leviticus, uh, which is really a commentary on the Ten Commandments, Moses writes this about the Ninth Commandment. He just basically sums it up. Do not lie. That's what this is about. Don't deceive one another. So if you're following on your notes, the Ninth Commandment forbids speaking falsely or harmfully to and about others. It's using our mouths with the intention of deceiving someone, right? Speaking falsely or even harmfully to and about others. Or let me just put this in a more positive note because that's what we've been doing in this whole Ten Commandments series. If these are given to us because God really wants the best for us, what is he saying in the Ninth Commandment? Here's what I think he's saying, if you're following. In the Ninth Commandment, God encourages us to be honest and live with total integrity. That's what this is about. 
Honesty and integrity. Honesty and integrity. You want freedom in your life? Honesty and integrity. Most of us know the word honesty. Maybe we're not as familiar with the word integrity. Uh, It actually comes from a word we still uh, can use today in English, integer. Some of you have heard that, integer. Are you any math folks in here? You know what an integer is. An integer is a whole number. In other words, it's not a fraction. It can't be split apart. An integer is a whole number, and that's a beautiful description of what a person of integrity really is, right? There's a wholeness to them. In other words, they don't say one thing out of their mouths and they're thinking something behind that. They don't say one thing and they're doing another thing. What they say is what they do. There is do. There's a wholeness about who they are. And this commandment, when we speak with that kind of integrity, that's freeing, isn't it? Some of us uh, know what this is getting at because we've, we've lived the other side of it. We've lived the other side of integrity. We've had fractured lives in this area of lying. i got to stand up here and confess to you this morning. This area of lying was probably the, not probably, there I am, it was the greatest area of sin in my life growing up. I was a chronic liar. The reason for that, and I'm not going to make an excuse, but when we moved uh, from Minnesota to California, you've heard the story, some of you before, I began to get bullied. And so my defense mechanism was to create these fantastic, ridiculous stories about my life so that kids would like me. And so it'd be something as simple as I'd have a cut from my dog, playing with my dog one, one night, and I'd get to school, and I'd be like showing everybody this was from jumping off some cliff on a ski retreat, and I'd make up these crazy stories. And you know what happened? I felt like one of those circus people who's spinning all these plates. I have all these lies going at the same time, right? And I didn't feel whole. Maybe people thought more highly of me, but I didn't feel whole. That's what integrity is really all about, right? It's that wholeness. What I say is who I am. Who I am is what I do. And God knows that's how we're going to experience freedom. Not doing this stuff. That gets exhausting after a while, let me tell you. So number one, God gave us this because he wants us to have freedom. Integrity, honesty, that leads to freedom. And number two, a little bit more sobering on this side. Another reason we have this ninth commandment, if you're following on your notes, is because God hates lying in any form. And I mean hates. I mean hates. Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. I I can't get around that word. You know, detests, well, in the original Hebrew, that might mean, it means detests, hates. But he delights in those who are full of honesty and integrity. Now, why does God hate lying so much? Is this harsh right now? Well, if you keep following on your notes, it comes down to a very simple thing. It's because his very character and nature is truth. His very character and nature is truth. God is truth. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. Why? Because he's truth. Jesus in this famous verse we all know, John 14.6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of truth. The Bible, the book many of you are holding in your lap right now, in John 17, 17, is described as truth. God is truth. John, in 1 John, put it this way. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. You can substitute truth and lying there. God is truth. In him there is no lying at all. There can't be. They're incompatible. 
It's like water and oil. God is truth and can't be around lying. It's intolerable to him because that's just who he is. Uh, let me give you a quick picture here. Imagine uh, Michelle did a great job leading us on the piano in worship, didn't she? I want you to imagine if before the service I came here and I tuned that piano every single note to flat. It was flat. The whole piano was just flat. And Michelle got down to play uh, the piano. What do you think her reaction would have been as soon as she played her first note? Boop. I can't touch this anymore. I can't play this. This is flat. This is going to sound terrible. And it's the same way with lying. When God comes into the presence of lying, he just, because he's truth with a capital T. He can't even be around it. So if that's the case, and those are the stakes, I think it's important that we take some time this morning to understand the ways we could lie, just because I think this has slipped in our culture today, and then also ultimately I want to talk about how we can become people who honor truth-telling. Now, one last thing here. If God is truth, we are told in Scripture that our enemy, Satan, is what? A liar. He is the father of lies, it says in John 8, 44. His very language is uttering lies. And so listen, when we fall into patterns of lying, whose language are we speaking? We're following right into his path. So there's some serious stakes here in this ninth commandment. I was very wrong to view this as a lesser sin. There's some serious things going on. So let me talk about six ways. There's probably 15 to 20 I could have covered, but here's six uh, I I thought hard about this week that I think uh, we need to recapture as the church. Number one, the most obvious way we lie is by slander. Slander, you hear this word, you know, in newspapers and and so forth, uh, media slander, which, uh, again, if you're following there, is just lying about another's character or conduct. Sometimes we just want to hurt people with what we say. That's slander. We lie about them. We say something mean. We say something hurtful about them. The book of Proverbs, and by the way, you're going to hear me quoting the book of Proverbs quite a lot in this message. And if you struggle in this area with your speech, it's a great book to read. It really is. There's all kinds of gems in here. But Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. That's slander. It just pierces someone, doesn't it? It just pierces someone. Again, I, I confess to you, I had some serious issues in this in my life. I was a slanderer big time. Two times in high school, I kid you not, God had to teach me a serious lesson uh, on this, and by his grace he did, but two times, I know you think this only happens in the movies or on TV shows, but I would be gathered with my group of friends, and we were doing what immature kids doing, we're making fun of other kids. And two times, it goes silent, and you know what happened, right? That person that I'm slandering is right behind me, right behind me. The second time that happened, I just had this overwhelming sense of there is something seriously wrong with my heart. There's something dark about my heart that I can so easily say these hurtful, harmful words about some other human being. How can I claim to know the God who is truth? And these things are coming out from me. Now, I think if we're all honest, there is probably a deep, dark place in all of our hearts. Sometimes it comes out in the way we speak about others. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one who's probably struggled with that in his or her life. I don't know what that's all about. Well, I do know what that's all about. That's called our flesh. And yet God says when those things come, when those things rise up uh, from out of you, avoid that. Shut your mouth. 
Don't talk slanderously about others. Don't lie uh, about others in a way that is going to harm their character or conduct. Remember, it's intolerable in God's sight. Second way we lie, and this is by far, in my opinion, the most common way now, and this is just taken as normal today, is gossip. Gossip. Gossip is speaking behind another person's back. And what makes gossip different from slander? I mean, what's, what's different about gossip? Isn't that the same thing? No, what makes gossip different is you can actually be saying something true in gossip. It might be true, but the intent of what you're saying is still to probably harm that person or make that person look worse than he or she is. Gossip is so common today, we forget how ungodly it is. Proverbs 16.28 reminds us, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. That's what can happen when we don't take this seriously. But, so what I've learned, and again, I told you I've had to come a long way in this. What I've learned is I need to ask myself three questions every time I'm about to speak about another person. Three questions. These are simple, but they're hard when you come down to it. Number one is what I'm about to say true. Is what I'm about to say true about this, this person? Number two, even if it is true, should I be saying it to this other person? Should I be saying what I'm about to say to this other person? And third, and this was the one that really marked my life, if that person were standing in our circle right now, would I say what I'm about to say? Those are three simple questions, but boy, boy, they're hard, aren't they? They are hard to answer. If we can't answer them, though, we better not speak it at all sometimes. There's another side to this, too. It's not just wrong to be the gossiper. It's just as wrong to be the one listening to gossip. Not just because gossip is bad, it's a sin, but listen, here's what I realized what was happening in my heart when I was being in, engaging in gossip of some sort. And tell me this isn't true with you. What is gossip really doing? What does it do? It draws our hearts to making conclusions and judgments about people we don't even know their whole story. We don't even know the whole situation. That is not my place to make a judgment on another person when they're not even there to defend themselves. That's God's place. No wonder he hates it so much. Isn't that true? Gossip draws us into making these conclusions about others when it's not our right to even do that. The problem is we all like a little gossip. Proverbs 18.8. This is, couldn't be said any better. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Isn't that true? Don't leave me up here. It's just something... Something about that little piece of information. It's like a choice morsel. It's great. It's great. Author, author Ron Mel tells of a time when he was speaking to a woman on his staff, and he said these words I think we've all uttered at one point. You know, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but... And let me read what he, he wrote after that. He says, he goes on to say, I guess I was hoping she'd respond. Oh, come on, tell me. Go ahead. Let's hear it. It's probably not that big of a deal. But instead, she looked at me and said, well... I guess you better not then. You want to stop, pop, stop, talk about stopping that conversation. That's a great example of what to do when somebody is starting to tell us something we shouldn't hear. Now, let me ask you a very serious question. What is it going to take to respond that way? What does that take? It takes some serious courage. It takes some serious courage to say that to someone because, number one, that person's probably your friend. And number two, don't tell me you haven't thought about this. If you say that, you know that's probably going to ostracize you from the water cooler conversations. And even worse than that, you know what's going to happen? You know who they're going to start talking about at the water cooler? 
God says sometimes being a person of honesty and integrity is going to take some serious courage. It's going to take some serious courage. Are you willing to be courageous when those moments come? A third way we break the ninth commandment is by exaggeration, which can also be known as half-truths. Half-truths, man. We, we're full of these. Full of these half-truths. Read a story this week of a guy, and we have all done this, I think, probably to some degree, when he was, he was reflecting back on his childhood, and he used to tell his parents that after school he, would go to the boys, he was going to the Boys and Girls Club, which they were fine with. That's where they thought he would be. So what he'd do is he'd drop his bag off at home, he'd walk into the front door of the Boys and Girls Club, then walk right out the back door, and then he'd go to a friend's house where he knew his parents didn't want him to be. On the way home, he'd walk back through the Boys and Girls Club, and he'd get home, and his parents would ask him, where have you been? And his answer would be, I've been at the Boys and Girls Club. Is that true? Now you know half-truths, right? That is a half-truth. Who of us don't know people? Who of us aren't people who sometimes like to exaggerate the stories we tell about ourselves a little bit? You know, that, well, I really said this, but it'd be a lot cooler if I tell the story I said it this way. Or I really did this, but man, I could make myself to look a lot better if I, if I told the story this way. Who haven't done that? You know, like how I beat Pastor Jeff when we used to play tennis. Six love every time. Every time. Well, okay, nine times out of ten, but we all do that, right? We all do that. He beat me most of the time, the truth is. Now listen, stuff like that, it's kind of harmless. Except what we're going to notice with all these lies, it's sort of like this slippery slope. We don't really notice it at first. Well, what's the big deal? And then soon we find ourselves heading down this hill. For example, can you imagine a conversation like this? I'm sure none of you can. A husband is sitting in a counselor's office and says, my wife never wants to attend important business functions with me. The wife looks at him and says, well, you always humiliate me in front of your friends. The husband says, well, you never express any interest in my needs. And the wife says, you always pay no attention to me. And it goes on and on, right? Never, always, never, always, always, never. You've never found yourself in these conversations, right? Now, what does a conversation like that do? Does that produce effective communication and resolving? No, it's, it's these half-truths. I mean, there's probably some truth behind the complaints, right? But it's the way it's said. It's, it's not true that her husband always does that. It's not true. He never does that, yet that's the way we speak. But what that does is it breaks our communication. This kind of exaggeration, these half-truths are just running rampant in our society today right now. Think about our money situation as a country. I read a report several year ago, years ago. I'm sure some of you read this as well. This was before our national debt is what it is today. But it was said that if every person in the United States was honest on their income tax return, there would be enough money to pay off the entire national debt. Did you read that report? I don't, that's definitely not true today, unfortunately. But just think about how easy it is to tell that one half-truth. That one exaggeration, that one little thing on the W-2, listen, business is tough, times are hard, we're going to go out of business if we don't do this, if we don't do this, God will understand, and we make these sort of half-truths and we justify them. This is commonplace in the workplace as well. Some of you remember several years ago when George O'Leary was hired as the head coach of Notre Dame football. You remember this? After they hired him, they started looking into his resume a little bit more and they discovered he was telling Kind of the truth, but not really the truth about the different places he had coached. And so USA Today did a poll. Is this just a George O'Leary thing, or is this something uh, going on in a, in a greater degree? And they discovered 71% of resumes lie 
about the number of years on the job, 64% embellish their accomplishments, and 48% exaggerate their compensation from former employees. Just a little half-truth, right? Friends, exaggerations like those examples, it may seem harmless at first, but what we're talking about is this slippery slope. And you know where that eventually leads us? It eventually leads us to saying one of the most deadly sentences we could ever say, which is, what is truth anyway? What is truth anyway? Define what you mean by lie, right? Does this sound familiar right now? I mean, we live in a postmodern culture that believes that truth is relevant. It's relevant. It is to you what it is to you, and it is to me what it is to me. And yet we serve the God who calls himself truth with a capital T. We learn from the ninth commandment that these kind of half-truths, though they may seem innocent at first, eventually can lead us down this dangerous, slippery slope. The fourth way we lie is when we attempt to escape the consequences. When we attempt to escape the consequences. If you are a parent, you're very familiar with this one. Right? Peter is a great example of this in Scripture. Peter declared an oath to Jesus that he would never leave him or forsake him. Right? I'll be by your side through whatever is about to happen. Of course, you know the story. Later that night, what is he doing? He's denying, vehemently denying an oath. He's taking an oath saying, I never knew the man. How does that happen? Fear. Fear that if he was associated with Jesus, that there would be some serious consequences to his actions. We're all familiar with this mechanism, right? Avoiding the consequences. We have a famous story in our family. Uh, if you're tired of my stories, I only got one more, sorry. But this story gets told every time my family's together because it's like one of our, our, uh, our funny stories. I'm, I'm the butt of the joke, unfortunately. But I was 10 years younger than my brother. And so you can imagine, you know, I'm six, he's 16, I, like, I looked up to him, I wanted to do everything he did, I, I worshipped him, I wanted to be a part of what he was doing, and uh, one of the things my brother would do is he'd build model cars, and then, like a typical boy, he would find incredible ways to destroy them. And I so wanted to take part in some of these excursions that he would have, but he would just say, no, you're going to tell mom, you're going to tell mom and dad, you're going to tell mom and dad. And I was like, no, no, please, please, just let me, just let me. And so finally, he says, all right, fine, you've got to promise you will not tell mom and dad. And I'm like, okay, yeah, totally. And so we go outside, and we lived in this awesome house that had this incredible driveway. It was the steepest driveway you'll ever see. I loved it. And what his idea was for this day was we're going to light these cars on fire and then send them down the driveway. It's like, yes, this is awesome. And so he's lighting the cars on fire. We're sending them down. We're whooping and hollering. All of a sudden, we see coming up the street the station wagon with my dad in it. And you know what I did? I ran to that station wagon as fast as I could, and I screamed, Dad, he made me do it. <laughs> my brother, needless to say, never let me take part in any of those excursions again. Now, why did I do that? It's this innate in all of us, isn't it? I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to get caught. But you do know that we serve the one who even though he knew if he told the truth about himself, the consequences would be his life. And he did it anyway. And we are to be people who follow that example. We tell the truth no matter what it might cost us in that situation. The fifth way we can break the ninth commandment, this might come as a surprise to you, but lying can also be done through silence. 
which is not speaking when something is untrue. I have Leviticus 5.1 on your notes there. One of the most interesting things about the Jewish law is that the person who refused to give evidence when he or she had evidence to give is condemned as severely as the one who gives false evidence. Isn't that interesting? And yet how often do we find ourselves in these situations where gossip is running rampant, slandering is happening, we're standing there, but we justify to ourselves, listen, because I'm not contributing anything to this conversation, I'm scotch-free. I'm scotch-free. Yet, the truth is, that breaks the heart of the ninth commandment, doesn't it? It breaks the heart of the ninth commandment. Sometimes God wants us as his people to speak up, to speak up, to speak the truth. Yes, please, speak it in love. But being a person of honesty and integrity is going to mean standing up for the person who's getting beaten down. Sixth way we can break the ninth commandment is when we break a promise or commitment. A break a promise or commitment. We've seen week after week in these Ten Commandments that Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he raises them to a whole other level in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We've seen that over and over again. You think that's what I meant by murder? What I really meant by murder is this. You think that's what I meant by adultery? Uh, this is what I really meant by adultery. And he does the same thing with this. He says to his disciples, no longer should you be worried about taking oaths. You just let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, a Christian, a disciple of Christ, doesn't even need to make an oath or a promise because our word should be as good as our word. Our yes should be yes and our no should be no. That's how we should be known. And yet, can I ask you a question? How's that going for us, do you think? I mean, how easy is it to break commitments, right? How easy is it to break oaths? It, it's, it, it's easier and easier. It's, again, these slippery slopes. I mean, so what if I don't go to the Bible study that I committed to today? So what if I don't make that phone call I promised I would make? So what if I'm late for that meeting I had with so-and-so? Again, small examples, but what does that begin to do? You do realize, I'll just tell you this, Satan never works with the big ones, right? He always starts small. It always starts with a small lie, a small lie, and then it starts to snowball its way in a bigger and bigger lie, and pretty soon we find ourselves justifying breaking our oath to our employer or breaking our oath to our spouse, and we wonder, how did I find myself here? Well, it doesn't happen like that. It happens through this slippery slope of breaking promises and commitments. Listen, our God is a God who keeps how many of his promises? All of them. He keeps all his promises, and he expects us to do the same as people who bear the name of his son. If you are a Christian, you are bearing the name of Christ, and Christ said, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Now, that's some of the ways we can break this commandment. Are you feeling pretty heavy right now? Are you feeling like I'm feeling, that I've broken every single one of them at some point in my life? Yeah? Well, that's okay, because there's some good news. Uh, there's good, good news waiting for all of us, and I want to close this morning by telling you some of that good news and how we can now become people who honor truth-telling. Let me just give you three ideas. Number one, we must, and this has got to be in the right order here. Number one, speak the truth about ourselves. We must speak the truth about ourselves. This is where it all starts. We have to speak the truth about ourselves, and the truth about all of us is that we all fall short. Yes? We all fall short in the ninth commandment. We all do. I stand here as a living testimony uh, to that fact. I heard a great story uh, of a, a preacher. He was remembering back in the day when his mom 
uh, used to do laundry the old-fashioned way, and his mom, you know, would hang up on the clothespins. And one day, they were both outside. He was helping her, and they hung up their laundry, the white sheets from the beds, and they stood back, and they just admired how unbelievably pure and clean and white they were able to get these sheets. They hung them up. They left them overnight. They came out the next morning not realizing that it snowed. And you know what those sheets look like to them? It's full of dirt and stain and filth compared to the pure white background of the snow. And that's a great picture for us because some of us sit here this morning and go, well, I'm not that bad of a liar. I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. I'm definitely not as bad as him. And yet, we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to him or her or him or her. We compare ourselves to the one who is as pure as white snow. And when I compare myself to him, I'm full of stains. I'm still full of filth. I'm full of garbage. You know, one thing Jesus hated more than anything else, if you read the Gospels, he hated religious people who pretended to be more white than they really were, right? More pure than they really were. He would confront them day after day, telling them, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. That's what Jesus called them. What a great picture. What is that picture in your mind? It's clean on the outside, right? But inside what? Good as dead. Because, listen, when you compare yourselves to the God of truth with a capital T, that's exactly what you are. That's exactly what I am. And as Christians, we know that. I hope you know that. You've come to the conclusion... I fall short in this in my life. And you bring that to the cross of Jesus Christ and He takes that up and declares you as pure and holy in His sight. We are nine weeks in this series on the Ten Commandments. And every week we've probably said something like, are you convicted of your sin? Are you convicted of your sin? That's what the Ten Commandments do, don't they? We talk about repentance. We talk about conviction. And you know, there's a lot of people who feel a lot of pity for us as Christians. Because they think we go around feeling all this guilt and all this shame. We can never measure up to God's expectations for us. So we walk around like this with all this guilt and shame. Have you ever felt like that? I'm sure we've all felt like that. But I hope you know that the truth is actually the reverse. We are the least people to be pitied. Because, yeah, we might recognize our guilt and our shame and our filth, and yet we bring that to the cross, and He takes that upon Himself, so we now walk freely and boldly and confidently because we are forgiven. We have been made white as snow, just as He is white as snow. That is called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Are you experiencing that? If not, you can. You can, but it starts by first speaking the truth about yourself. And the truth is, compared to that, compared to that, I'm just not worthy. Second way we can honor truth-telling is by caring more what God thinks than what others think. Caring more what God thinks than what others think. I really think it comes down to this for so many of us. This is what it came down to for me. I really wanted others to like me. And I had to learn i got to care more what God thinks. In my hand right here, kids, this is called a video cassette. (laughs) We used to use this to watch things in something called a VCR. (laughs) But what if I told you tomorrow that a cameraman was going to follow you around your entire day and record everything you said and everything you did? And then on Tuesday, that cameraman was going to, via satellite, broadcast your entire day to two billion plus people around the world. Would that change the way you live and spoke tomorrow? Of course it would. 
You liars? Of course it would. <laughs> it would for me too. And yet, one of the verses that convicted me in this whole area of my life was spoken from Jesus in Matthew 12 when he said these words. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. We're on videotape. Every day, every moment. God knows what we're speaking. We can't hide from God. So listen, the question is, do I care more about that? Do I care more about that? Or do I care more what the person in my next cubicle thinks? It's a tough question we have to all ask, but who are we living for? A third way to honor truth-telling is by using our words to build people up instead of tearing them down. We can use our words to build people up instead of tearing them down. We can. In Ephesians chapter 4, you should really read 4.17 all the way uh, to the end there, but Paul's writing about the use of our words. He says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. You can put it off. For we are all members of one body. And then read what he says four verses later in verse 29 on your notes. Paul writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, we've been learning this morning how the tongue can be used as a weapon of mass destruction, haven't we? But it can also be used as an incredible instrument of grace and love. Proverbs 16.27 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I love that verse. Our words can breathe life and sweetness into others, can't they? So we learn not only the words not to say, we're learning this morning words we can say. We can say encouraging words, uplifting words, benefiting words to others. We can say words of gratitude and thanksgiving. Have you ever noticed that when your mouth is full of gratitude and thanksgiving, it starts to do something to your heart? I'm glad we have a holiday called Thanksgiving in this country. It's a time for us to remember that in our cynical natures, in our cynical society. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be grateful for, and we can use our mouths to speak our gratitude to God and to others. We can use our words to bless, to encourage. Let me ask you, how are you doing on this? How are you doing in your relationships? What might you need to do this week to be a builder instead of a tearer down? I know of one church, somebody was telling me they did a fast on their words. They were not allowed to speak any negative or critical words for an entire day. You know how hard that was? Maybe that's a good idea for us. Fast on my words, on my lying, on my criticism, and make sure I'm being grateful and using my words for gratitude and praise and thanksgiving and blessing. Friends, the question as we close this morning is, will I pursue, and you can cross out that word be in your notes, that was a mistake, total honesty and integrity with my speech. Now, before you put your notes away, because you can't miss this in my speech, before you miss this, you can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own, and I had to finally come to the realization in my life that there was something wrong with my heart, and I needed God's help to change it. Thankfully, here's the rest of the good news. You know, once we uh, speak the truth about ourselves that we all fall short, you know what God does? Brian alluded to it already. He takes up residence in our lives. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives. And you know what that means? 
is we can now walk in the truth as he is in the truth with his help and with his power. That is good news indeed. We are crucified to that old self. And we have come alive in him. And when we surrender ourselves to him, he will work in mighty ways through our lives. And if that's what you want, in this area of your tongue, or maybe just even generally, bow your head with me and pray right now. Lord, I feel comfortable speaking on behalf of everyone in this room. And corporately, I say we have all fallen short in this area of the ninth commandment. Who of us haven't slandered or gossiped, exaggerated, told half-truths, tried to escape the consequences of our lies? Who of us haven't been silent when we know we should have spoken? And who of us haven't broken promises? And yet, because we could acknowledge that and turn from that, we know that you can make us white as snow, and so we receive that once again this morning. For those who have received that before in their lives, we pray that you'd fall afresh upon us. If that's never been something somebody's received in this room right now, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now and help them to see they could be made white as snow because of your blood. But Lord, we don't want to just be forgiven people. We want to be changed people, transformed people, people turned into the image of your Son. And so right now we pray that you would help us to become people who care more what you think than what others think, and we could become people who use our mouths, our speech, our words, our tongues to encourage, to build up, to uplift, to bless. God, let us start a revolution. Let us start a revolution in this midst, but we cannot do that without the work and help of your Holy Spirit. So once again, we ask you to fill us this morning with that hope. Help us to leave here, change people, walking in step with who you are, and who you call us to be. We pray this with confidence because we pray in the name above every other name. His name is Jesus. Amen.